army bold whose battle cry is love reaching out to those in darkness are called to war to love the captive soul but to rage against the captor and with the sword that makes the wounded whole we will fight with faith and valor when faced with trials on every side we know the outcome is secure and christ will have the prize for which he died an inheritance of nations come see the cross where love and mercy meet as the son of god is stricken see his foes lie crushed beneath his feet for the conqueror has risen and as the stone is rolled away and christ emerges from the grave this victory march continues till the day every eye and heart shall see him let's go ahead and open up with a word of prayer and then we're going to turn it right back over to uh, John and Smokey, our, our guitar duo up here, and Sandra Jo. She makes, she makes the trio up there. All set? Father in heaven, we thank you that we can come and be in your house tonight and just pray that you'd be with us as we look into your word, as we worship you. And Lord, we thank you for the progress being made on our renovations just pray that you'd help us to get that all done and in place for Easter Sunday. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. And let's continue in singing, Fill My Cup, Lord. Like the woman at the well I was seeking For things that could not satisfy and then I heard my Savior speaking, draw from my well that never shall run dry. Fill my cup, Lord, I lift it up, Lord. Come and quench this thirsting of my soul. Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Fill my cup. The pleasures earthly things afford But none can match the wondrous treasure That I find in Jesus Christ my Lord Fill my cup, Lord, I lift it up, Lord Come and quench this thirsting of my soul Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Fill my cup, fill it up and make me whole. So my brother, if the things this world gave you, leave hungers that won't pass away. My blessed Lord will come and save you. If you and humbly pray 
Fill my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. Come and quench this thirsting of my soul. Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Fill my cup, fill it up and make me Would you stand one more time and together we lift up our voices as we sing, Since Jesus came into my heart, and in your name. What a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. I have lied in my soul for which long I have sought since Jesus came into my heart. Since Jesus came into my heart. My soul like the sea billows roll Since Jesus came into my heart I have ceased from my wandering and going astray Since Jesus came into my heart And my sins which were many are all washed away Since Jesus came into my heart Since Jesus came into my heart since Jesus came into my heart floods of joy or my soul like the sea billows roll since Jesus came into my heart as morning dawns and evening fades you inspire songs of praise that rise from earth tower your name is a shelter like no other your name let the nation sing it louder because nothing has the power to save but your name jesus in your name we pray come and fill our hearts today lord give us strength to tower your name is a shelter like no other your name let the nation sing it louder because nothing has the power to save but your name and please be seated i'd like you to turn with me if you would to the book of genesis very first and second chapter of genesis um, this, more, this afternoon, as we had gone ahead and done the children's program, the children's program this year, as I mentioned this morning, was about creation. And of course, spring reminds us of new birth and new beginnings and creation and God's wonder. Um, and when I did my little short, I always do just a little short Bible challenge or devotion during those programs, 
I know those parents aren't coming here for me to preach a 20-minute sermon to them. They're coming here to see their little tiny ones recite, and they recited verses and did a wonderful job. Uh, But in that devotion, I talked to them a little bit about family, moms and dads and kids and you know, all of that. And so I also wanted to do that tonight. I want us to go back and just reflect on the sanctity of marriage. We are in the most insane times that I could even imagine culturally, where it's not even just that people ignore marriage and live together. Uh, It's a whole war against family and marriage, um, culturally, socially, Uh, I've read some really interesting articles where the government itself is researching and trying to figure out why are we having such a breakdown? uh, They're looking at why are so many young men not working full-time jobs? And for you and I, I I just assumed young men are working full-time jobs. But actually the article was talking about that there's the largest percentage in U.S. history of young men in their their late teens through their 20s who no longer work full-time jobs. They work part-time jobs. They're not going to work 40, 50 hours a week. And they've said, why? What's, what's, What's causing this? As the government wrings their hands and says, could it possibly be that we have so destroyed the structure of the family and the home that no longer people are even looking to do that? They'd rather stay home and play video games than to go ahead and have a wife and kids and build a home. And uh, all of a sudden, our culture, our society is standing there saying, we don't understand what's happened. But in reality, I think you and I that are Bible believers, we know that they have broken something that God created. And now they're trying to figure out what's all the damage, what's, what's happened here with all the fallout. So I want to, for us, I want us to go back, go to the book of Genesis. I want us to look at the family, the home, husbands and wives, children. Let's take just a moment and understand why we embrace it. Why do we consider it uh, to be such uh, a precious thing? So go with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to read to you verses 26, 27, and 28 and just kind of reflect on what it is that God created. So let's take a moment. It says, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have a dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them, and God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. When we look at this very first chapter of Genesis, we start to understand that God created the very institution of marriage. He's the one who created it, invented it, put it into play. He created male and female. He created the design for us to procreate and to go ahead and increase around the world. It's so interesting when you look at this, 
that he comes down and he says to us as uh, human beings, he says, I want you to go ahead and be fruitful and multiply. And yet we live in a time ever since I was a kid where they're, they're warning us and warning us, don't have too many children, don't have children, don't have children. We're going to overpopulate the world. When I was a kid, truly, they told us there would not be a, enough food to feed the children if people kept having children. But here I am, 66 years old, and we're still feeding children around the world. And all that alarmism of when I was a kid, of every, they, they, they told us even in school, because schools kind of are the base for all that indoctrination. <coughs> <coughs> they told me as a child, and some of you, that really the perfect design was for each couple to have just two kids. That way you're only replacing yourself. You're not going ahead and multiplying. But yet around the world, there are people who have five, six, seven, eight, ten kids, but they're telling you and I to only have two. And here we find that God's, God's design were, were, it was for us to multiply, for us to be families and to have many children. And you know how that would shake out globally? I'm not sure. But I do know the alarmism of when I was 15 years old has not proven to be correct now that I'm 66 years old. You take a moment and you go in here and you look at what he tells us to do. He says, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth and subdue it. And that's an interesting thing because in the world we live in today, the last thing they're telling us to do is to subdue the world. In other words, to go ahead and take control of all that is around us. He gives detail as he comes down in. Listen to what he says. He says, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moved upon the earth. And so as we go back and we look at the very beginning, he tells us, he says, Come together. I've created you in my image. I've created male and female. I want you to, to multiply and I want you to grow and expand and I want you to subdue the world. I want you to go ahead and subdue the fishes and the wildlife and to go ahead and, and to take and, and partake of all that I have created. And we have flipped that whole thing upside down in the world we live in today where they're saying, no, don't. You know, we don't want you to, to fish these things and fish these things. I read an article the other day that uh, they're trying to shut down the main lobster industry um, because the lobster industry, there are ropes in the sea that some whales can get tied into. And it just continues on and on and on. And is it right or is it wrong? I mean, I'm not in the fishing industry and I'm not uh, looking at the ropes. But I am just saying that we as a culture, as a society, we no longer approach what God did and what God called us to from a biblical perspective. We're completely affected by the culture and world that we live in, government objectives, social experimentation. We see it touch and affect every part of our lives. And sometimes we just need to step back and say, wait a minute. God designed us for a purpose. And we should pursue that which God designed. 
And when we look here, we understand that God designed us, male and female, for us to marry, for us to have children, for us to prosper in the world that we live in. That was God's design. Let's go back and look a little bit at some different verses and understand his objective. Look, look with me at Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 down through 25. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed the beasts of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all the cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helpmeet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept and he took one of his ribs and he closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And this, this afternoon when I was talking to all these parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles who came to see these little kids, I mentioned that you know this is the first DNA uh, replication. We see God take out of Adam this rib and he creates the woman out of Adam's rib. Listen, all the things that we find and discover are things that God created. He created the DNA of, of humankind. He created the genders. He created the family. He created our ability to procreate and to expand and to grow. He could have, he could have made us like creatures that don't have male and female that do replicate. I was reading today about a specific lizard there's a lizard where almost all the lizards are female. And yet somehow, biologically, within them, by themselves, they can replicate. It's incredible. God could have done that for human beings. Could have created us however he wanted to create us. But instead, he created us, men and women, husbands and wives, families, to procreate and and expand and to grow and to enjoy and to be blessed by the world that he created. As you come down and you look in this text, it reminds us that his design is a perfect design. Go with me, if you would, over to Hebrews chapter 13. Because I think it's important for us to understand that when it comes to God's design for us, there's nothing that we should shy away of or be afraid of. Look, look with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 13. We're going to jump down to verse 4. It says, Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. So here we really see the world we live in in contrast against Scripture. God says, wait, let's step back here and look at this. Let's look at my design and my purpose, my intent. He says, marriage is honorable. And in the world we live in today, it's not approached as honorable. Maybe to be avoided, to be scoffed and laughed at and comedians to make fun of. Uh, 
for society to experiment with and manipulate and redefine. But God says to us, no, actually, marriage is an honorable institution. And when you're dealing with your children and your grandchildren and your nieces and nephews, neighbors and friends, we should be careful how we mock and ridicule and deride and tear down that which is honorable. We should be the people who are championing the family. We should be championing that which God designed. We should be encouraging our kids and our grandkids. It's a strange thing that's going on in our world today. Sandra Joe and I, as we pulled up into the parking lot this morning, we talked about services. We were talking about them as we came in, and we talked about the attendance this morning. We had good attendance. But you know what? As good of attendance as we had in here, down below in the children's programs, very few children. And why is that? It's a reflection of the culture and the environment that we live in. We have, uh, our schools are closing. They're, they're talking about selling them. We have broken the basis of the family in the state we live in. And so now we try to figure out, well, what do we do then? Well, let's spend more money on what the fewer we have so that we don't affect this and this and this. But... There's no encouragement. There's no, there's no honorability brought to the family in the state we live in and maybe even the nation we live in today. And it is having an effect. It's having an effect where you live and where I live. And it's having an effect on our church. So today we had the Ark Preschool Kindergarten and we had 20 children on the platform. Most of those children are community children. We probably had... Uh, I, I'm guessing 175 adults out here this, this afternoon for the ARC program. But I mean, we live in a community, we live in a community with few children per ratio of adults. One of the oldest states per ratio of people in the nation. We're like an, a retirement community. That's crazy, isn't it? I want you to understand that that's what the statistics say. We run in the range of states that people go to retire because our young people move away and the young people who stay don't have children in quantity. They've bought into the, what, what I was taught and more. And God has challenged us. He's told us, he says, listen, marriage is honorable. It is a positive and good thing. This morning, I was encouraging one young couple. I told them, I said, because they're engaged. I said, that's great. I said, let's sit down and talk about getting you married. Because I'm the preacher, man. We're going we're gonna to work the cause. It's a sad thing that I see happen in our state and in our culture, among our families, in our communities, in our neighborhoods. No longer do they look at marriage as an honorable thing. In the bed undefiled, they mock Christianity and they say, well, Christians are prudes and blah, 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 blah. And we should go ahead and release all our standards concerning sexuality. Well, actually, the Lord... He addresses all of that there in Hebrews. 
I, I moved from that text, but let's go back there and look at it again as we look at Hebrews chapter 13. He helps us to deal with sexuality in the generation that we live in. And unfortunately, our, our generation, our people have gotten it completely upside down. He says here, marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled. He's saying the sexuality within marriage is honorable. It's a healthy and good thing. It's God's design. It's what makes babies. It's, it's wonderful. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. And it's just the opposite in television and movies and in, in our culture and our society. They exalt the whoremonger and the adulterer and they mock and ridicule the husband and wife family, the simple family. You and I, we really have a battle raging around us, not just for belief in God, but belief in the very foundational truths of civilization. Society has embraced marriage going back to Adam and Eve. And all of a sudden in our generation, in our time, marriage is mocked, ridiculed, and redefined. It has damaged our culture and our, our nation, our society, to go ahead and shift it and break it. God wants us to understand, no, actually, he has a purpose. He created the family. It was his first institution to create. He designed us for human sexuality to reproduce, to embrace, to create that affection between a husband and a wife. And he's warned us against the promiscuality and all of the adultery and all of the fornication. He's warned us that that damages people and society. I was reading an article here not too long ago about Hugh Hefner and Playboy and how that he shifted and changed society back in the 60s and 70s, maybe starting in the late 50s. But that's all within our lifetime. Not all of us. I mean, some of you think if it was in the 1900s, it was antique times. But for most of us to think back, I was born in 1956. You know, so in my lifetime, an entire culture has changed just because of a sexual revolution and an idea that we needed to break away from the standards, the morals, the biblical principles. And we have broken all these kids, all these generations, all these young people, to where people are ringing, literally sociologists are wringing their hands and asking, what's going on? Why? Why are our young men no longer working? Well, because they're no longer motivated to have a family. Why is it that we're seeing so few children born? So they're talking about, well, how about if we give them money? If we give them money, will they have more kids? I don't know, if money is the only reason you do or don't have kids, you got a rude awakening coming, don't you? It's not about money. And most people understand that, unless maybe you work for the government, I don't know. It's not about money, because having kids is hard work, but the reward is so great, worth more than money, amen? 
I mean, I don't think Hannah's trading off Jesse for a $10 bill or a hundred bucks a month or a thousand dollars a year. You know, we understand that our children are of such great value, but we've lost sight of that in our society and our culture. God challenged us to understand that is his design and his creation. Is it that God doesn't understand the struggle with the flesh? Of course he understands. He created, created humanity. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It's not that we are naive and so backwards that we don't understand the battle of carnal man. We do understand. That's it's got nothing to do with it. It's that we say to ourselves, and we go to the scriptures, and we say, well, yeah, carnal man desires this and this and this, but sometimes you just have to say no. You have to say no. There's a better way. There's a better design. Look with me, if you would, at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He says, look in verse 1. Now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me, Paul, as he writes to the church in Corinth, He's responding to their questions. As God inspires him, he's going to answer. He says, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. Just the opposite of what's transpired in the last 70 years in our country where we've thrown the marriage out the window and said, everybody sleep with everybody and nobody's going to care. But they have found that actually young people who are promiscuous, it damages their personal social understanding of intimacy. It hurts them. But listen to what he goes on to say. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife. And let every woman have her own husband. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence. And likewise also the wife unto the husband. Because husbands and wives, they're bonded one to together. Let them leave their mother and their father and to become one flesh. That's what he's talking about. Verse 4, he says, The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband. And likewise also the husband hath not the power of his own body, but the wife. And I want you to know that when those words were penned, that was revolutionary. The idea that the woman's relationship in a family was equal to the husband's relationship in that intimacy, that was revolutionary. You are holding a revolutionary book when you hold this. Because under Roman culture, Hebrew culture, there was not an equality. But God does view you ladies and you men as equal. You're the children of God. You are, you are princes and princesses of God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ of high value. And he says to us, he says, listen, when you get married, you belong to each other. Look at verse five. He says, defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent for a time, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and then come together again, that Satan, Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. He's saying to husbands and wives, yes, the marriage bed is undefiled. Now, there may be times when you decide to not engage in 
physical relationships because you're focused on some spiritual objective. But he says, don't do it for long because you need to care for one another. You need to be there for one another. And you don't want to open up temptation for Satan to come in and, and work, over, uh, work you over as a husband and wife. Verse 6, but I speak this by permission and not of commandment. He says, I'm not pulling this out of the Old Testament law, but instead I'm speaking it to you as the Holy Spirit gives it to me. For I would that all men were even as myself, he says. But every man hath his proper gift of God, one after this manner and another after that. So Paul says, listen, in reality, I'm very happy as a single guy. He talks about the fact that he's able to dedicate his entire life to service of Christ. But he says, I understand that that's not for everybody. For I, so he continues in verse 8. He says, I say, therefore, to the unmarried and widows, it's good for them if they abide even as I, a single man. But if they can't contain, let them marry. For it's better to marry than to burn. It's not that the, you know, when, when society mocks and ridicules Christianity and says, well, they're just all a bunch of prudes. They don't understand. They don't get it. No, we get it. We understand what, what the flesh requires and calls for and desires. But we also understand that there are things that we say no to because we want to honor God and we want to honor our spouse because we value the family. We value the family, God's creation, for us to repopulate the world, to propagate. So we want to honor God as God designed things to be honored. Look down with me at where verses uh, 10 and 11, if you would, in chapter 7 there. He says, and unto the uh, married, he says, I command, yet not I, but the Lord. Let not the wife depart from her husband. But if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And let not the husband put away his wife. So we live in a world and a society today where we have uh, marriage. And what do they call it? It's not uncontested divorce. What, what it's, uh, you can just get divorced just because incompatibility. You don't have to have grounds for divorce anymore. You just go ahead and say, I don't like the way they brush their teeth and I just don't want to be married to them anymore. And they're going to say, well, have you thought about this? Well, yeah, I've really thought about it. He really brushes more sideways than up and down. And I'm a dedicated up and down brusher and he's a dedicated sideways. I just don't want to live with that. All right, if you've really given it thought and considered it, yes, I have. And have you, have you considered the impact against the kids? Yep, I've taught my kids on one side they can brush up and down, on the other side back and forth, and, and we're going to work it out. We're going to co-parent the brushing. Okay, that's great. Go ahead and get a divorce then. But the reality is God says, no, work it out. Work it out. He says, don't leave each other. Now, of course... In all cultures and in all times, bad things happen. And in ours as well. There are times when people really, really, really try to work it out and horrible things come. Or when horrible things come to somebody who doesn't even know it's coming down the track. Yes. But God says, as much as is possible within you, get along with all men, including the person you're married to. So he says here, don't just go and get divorced. They asked, 
They asked the Lord, they said, well, what about Moses? He gave the writ of divorce. And the Lord's response was, only because of the hardness of their hearts. And we live in a culture and a world today that throws away the institution that God created. And I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you young people. Listen, there will be hard times that come. Marriage is blending two people together who have come from two totally different backgrounds and bringing them into the same house. Not for a day or a week, but for a lifetime. It is hard work. It's hard work whether you're my age and married 45 years, or Louis said he's been married now, you and Connie, almost 60. Almost 60 years. And I know I'm going to kick myself for doing this, but I'm going to ask. Was every day wedded bliss? Oh, thank you, Connie. Thank you very much. Phew. I, I didn't ask you, Louie. I didn't ask you. Because Connie's being honest. She's saying to us, no. Every day was not just, you know, songs, birds singing and, you know. Listen. Every marriage, everybody has hard days, maybe hard weeks. There can even be hard months. But you work through those things. You work together. And you, and you work to preserve that which God created. It's not always easy, but it is worth it. Is worth it. Uh, my parents divorced when I was 14 years old. So all the time my parents were... You know, my kids were growing up in my household. We would have to do two Christmases, two Thanksgiving, and things get so complicated. I feel so bad for all the little preschoolers in our church who, in our program, our Sunday, uh, Monday through Friday program, whose parents are divorced and they live three days with this parent and three days with that parent and with grandma on the seventh day. I, they've got this rotation thing going. We try to get them to bring children to church and they say, no, we, we can't make a commitment because they're with their father or their mother on Sundays and they have to decide or they live, blah, blah, blah. It goes on and on and on the complication for those little kids. Far better to work it out. It's worth it. I'm telling you, it's worth it. Let your kids grow up with a mom and dad at home. I was reading an article not too long ago about in certain, certain communities and cultures in America, the astronomical um, number of families that do not have men in their homes. And the kids never see. Their friends don't have dads at the house. They don't. Their neighbors don't. Their relatives don't. It's, it is, it's unusual to have a dad in the home. And it has so broken their traditions, their cultures, and their society that they're trying to figure out how, to, how do we fix it. Now, they don't want to say, well, let's go back to the Bible, because oh, who could do that? But that's what they need to do. You and I live, truly, we live in a, a war zone spiritually. If the devil can, and he is succeeding in some areas, he will destroy our families. Your family. Your kids' families. I told the moms and dads who were here for the program today, 
In my prayer, I prayed that God would watch over those little boys and girls, 20 boys and girls, that one day they could have a family with a husband and a wife and children of their own. But I wonder how many people even think to pray for that. Do you know I pray even now for my grandkids' spouses? Now, my grandkids, the oldest one, is only 15 years old. But since they were born, I have prayed, God, prepare for them the right spouse. I prayed for my children from the time they were born. God, prepare for them the right spouse. That's how much I value marriage, family. It's God's design. I wanted to share that with you tonight because... We are absolutely bombarded in our culture, and our society, with everything opposite of what I just told you. And I know that. You can easily walk away and say to yourself tonight, he doesn't understand. You're welcome to do that. But the reality is, God understands. And he tells us, you and I are in a warfare. Even for the simple family, we're in a warfare. It's a crazy time. We need to stand up, pray, pray for your kids and your grandkids. Be a witness, a testimony. Challenge them to come to church, to sit under the teaching and preaching of the word of God. If you can, go pick your kids up and your grandkids and your great grandkids. Bring them to church on Sunday morning. They need to hear the truth. They need to hear the truth because they are not getting it in their video games, they're not getting it in their television, they're not getting it in their movies, they're not getting it in their schools unless they're homeschooled or Christian schooled. You and I need to fight the good fight of faith. Amen? Amen. That was my Bible lesson for us tonight on this Sunday night. Let's go forth and let's represent the truth of God. That's my challenge to you tonight. Let's have a word of prayer. Kirk? Oh, yes, we have down in the fellowship hall, I think over 20, I think Rachel told me 20 or 30 amazing cupcakes because these mums and dads brought cupcakes for their children's program and the reception afterwards. And so there were a lot of people here, but there were a lot more cupcakes than people. So we have a bunch of really nice cupcakes down there. And I'm going to ask you to do the same thing I asked them. Please don't bring the cupcakes out on the new carpet. <laughs> and I know, I know in six months or a year or three years, there'll be people eating brownies and cupcakes. But let's enjoy it for just a little while without all that. So keep it in the fellowship hall. We haven't even finished it yet. Let's not mash in chocolate frosting. Okay? Oh, I'm sorry. Did, did somebody say, oh, that's a... No? I don't know. I thought somebody did. All right. Ready to be dismissed? And I'll ask the blessing on the cupcake. So you can just go down, grab a cupcake, visit, chat. I would like to meet with the trustees that are here for just a few minutes. Uh, not going to take much of your time. Just need to talk about a little situation with facilities, buildings. All set? Father in heaven, we thank you so much that we can come to your house. I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for 
my marriage, my children, my grandchildren. And Lord, I so pray for this generation that is so confused. The message is so confusing for them. I pray for these young people and these children that somehow they would catch the glimpse of truth. In Christ's name I pray, amen.